Well, welcome to week two of the Advent season. Uh, I hope that you guys slowed down just a little bit this week. Uh, we have four weeks of the Advent season where we remember the birth of the greatest gift ever. And I hope that what we talked about last week, you just took a moment, maybe a couple minutes here and there, maybe an hour, or maybe a, even a full day of rest to let the Advent season do something to you. See, a lot of the time what we talked about is we just fly through the Christmas season. You know, right when December uh, first hits, you got stuff at work, you got to finish things through the new year, uh, you got to, uh, to do stuff with family, you're getting over the Thanksgiving, uh, just problems with that, maybe you... Maybe you ate too much and it takes two weeks to you know, get back to normal. Uh, or maybe you just saw family that just emotionally drained you. And now you got to recoup real fast uh, for Christmas season. And be- whenever we do that, we miss. We miss why we stop and just remember the greatest gift. Just a little recap. Uh, the Advent season, Advent is translated uh, to literally mean the coming. Uh, So we take this Advent season and we create space uh, just a little bit um, to experience and remember the birth of the coming Messiah, Jesus. So I have a question. How long have you been a Christian? Uh, And I want you to think about that. Like, when did you, uh, not just maybe baptism or, or you started going to church, but when did you start practicing what Jesus said? Where you made the the actual decision, okay, I need to be loving in this moment. Like, when did you make that decision? And I've been a Christian and practicing it since 2009. And uh, it was probably a year later where I like, okay, I really need, I'm not very good at some of these things. I need to start practicing uh, doing these things. And even after 13 years straight of going to church every single Sunday, being on staff at, at multiple churches, there are a few areas in my life, maybe more than a few, that I just seem to fall short on over and over again. That I would say that I'm getting better over time, uh, but for some reason, when it, when it comes time to perform, like the moment happens and you're like, okay, I need to pr- put into practice the way of Jesus in this moment, like I know, I come short. Um, I'm gonna ask that you guys be my counselors for a moment and listen to this story that happened to me because I haven't talked to anybody about it. And if you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. You're gonna hear it anyways. So if you're new to Elevate, you know that like Rob is not perfect. Rob is, is I, don't, I don't pretend to be perfect. I, I make mistakes, I, I do things, and I never will pretend to be perfect. So if you make fun of like perfect Rob, nobody's gonna laugh at it because nobody believes it. But many of y'all know, a, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> my son had a, a, an ear infection and we went and gave him uh, just the typical amoxicillin like everybody has, has taken. And we found out that he was allergic to it, uh, just like my wife is. And he woke up that morning after a few days of taking that medicine, and he developed a rash amongst his whole body. And the next morning, he woke up, and he was, like, completely uh, swollen, like, from head to toe. It it literally looked like uh, it was a morning on a Sunday morning. It literally looked like if, you know, the cartoons where somebody, like, ate peanuts when they're not supposed to, and they, like, swell up. Like, he looked like that. And from, from feet, his ankles were swelled up, and he, and he couldn't walk because it hurts so bad. And for those who know me, Rob does not do well when my family or wife is sick. I do not handle it well. I, I, I'm a mess. I have fear. I have stress. I have anxiety. You name it. 
I dealt with it in that moment. And I probably felt, and I, and I felt extremely poor because just a few hours later, I was supposed to preach, like three hours later. And I'm sitting in the uh, kitchen and I'm like losing myself. And for the next three hours, I had, to, I had to take Hudson, our youngest, and bring him to my, uh, Dennis and Janie, so they could bring him to church, and Kaylee could bring Christopher to the doctor. And for the next, like, three hours, man, I was, I was a nervous wreck. And, and to confirm, he was allergic to the medicine, and as soon as Kaylee called me, uh, just a few days later, he went back to normal. But a few days later, after after the situation died down, his face looked back to normal. He looked like and acted like normal Christopher, if you know him. And, and that was a huge relief off me. But I don't know if many of you guys do that, but what I do is after a situation happens, I like to evaluate how I handled the situation. I don't know if you guys deal with that too. It's probably not, it is healthy, but it, it stinks. But I got a flat F in that situation. If you put a percentage on it, maybe a grace-filled 20, like the teacher felt bad for me and just gave me a 20 so that my parents didn't get yell at me for getting a zero. And the reason is because I know, I know what the Bible says. I know what Jesus said. I know his teachings. And I know what Jesus has given me the option of. So things come up in our life. And maybe you've gone through this. Uh, so you can either, if I realize, guide them, be guided through by Jesus, or you can go through them yourself. That either way, you have to go through this situation that's in front of you, and you have to make a decision. Are you going to go through it with Jesus, or are you just going to try to go through it on, or by yourself? Are you going to let the world dictate on how things go? Or are you going to allow Jesus to walk you through that gracefully? Whenever it goes to my kids, whenever I was in that situation on that Sunday morning for like three hours, man, I had every sort of thought come into my mind. I thought, man, my, my kid's going to like have to go to the hospital. I, I, I thought maybe he was going to be seriously injured and there was going to be pr prolonged effects of this, and over time, my fear and anxiety and the thoughts in my mind just progressively got worse and worse and worse. Maybe I thought he was going to be a medical mystery, or maybe I didn't know what was going to happen. But have any of you experienced that before? Where something came up and you instantly felt like you were on an island, and then like this fear and anxiety and loneliness just kind of came over you in that moment. And it honestly gives, and, and what we've realized is that it, what the world is giving you is just so many different lies. That the world wants you to fight all of these things because it wants this fear and anxiety of this life to become your identity in that moment. The Bible says that if you put your hope in Jesus, he offers you a beautiful third option rather than just fighting it or doing it on your own which is this amazing gift of peace. We talked about last week that if you put your hope in Jesus, which this yellow candle represents, that three things can come out of it. But you first have to put your hope in Jesus for, in order for this to happen. And if that happens, the first candle that we're gonna talk about of the purple is the gift of peace. The world uh, talks about peace all the time, doesn't it? 
Uh, we, we, we hear, if you grew up, you've heard about different things like war called like peace treaties, where like two different groups of people would like mutually agree to like, hey, we're just not going to have war right now. Uh, we have a popular, like the peace sign, the peace symbol um, that we've seen uh, kind of plastered all over, and it continues uh, to, to this day. It became popular in the 50s, late 50s and early 60s. Uh, which kind of developed into this meaning of peace, love, harmony, and overall good vibes is what they said. We use uh, phrases like go and make peace in situations. Parents, if you have older kids and there's like a, a confrontation in between, you would tell like one, hey, go make peace with your brother and sister or go make peace with your friends. Um, basically to becoming, hey, become civil once again, stop fighting. Uh, but, the, but the peace in the Bible is slightly different than all of these that I mentioned above. And through culture, I think we might have lost just a, a small part of the meaning of peace because meaning from the Bible is a gift. It's not something that you necessarily do, but it is a gift that comes from heaven. And the Bible talks about it often. See, we have two words in the Bible for peace. And, and I think it will help us understand what, what the Bible talks about in peace. We have an Old Testament Hebrew word, uh, and the word is shalom. And we've talked about this word before at church, um, but, but basically what it means is, is peace uh, or peace be with you. And we have a New Testament Greek word it comes from the word shalom, which is irene. And both of these are basic like peace greetings that you could use. If you, were, if you were lived in the first century and you were a, Drew, a Jew, uh, you would greet somebody if you went into their home and you would say, Shalom Alakmin, which literally means peace be with you as you entered into their home. And for those who grew up in a liturgical church, do we have any of those people like, like Catholic or Lutheran or, or something like that? Um, sometimes the uh, minister or priest would get up and they would greet everybody with saying, peace be with you. And then you would return and respond, and also with you. See, this, this phrase of greeting and peace has not left. It is still happening to this day. But the word peace in the Bible has more than just a greeting. It has a holistic meaning behind it, which is a presence. And the presence of shalom in context was not considered ultimately an outcome of human behavior as like the greeting, but it is as a gift or a blessing from God. Shalom was a desired state of harmony, communion between two covenant partners. Its presence signified God's blessing in a covenant relationship. And its absence, so if you did not have that covenant relationship with God or you decided to go your own way, it would signify the breaking down of the relationship between you and God. So in the whole Old Testament, just to give examples so you understand this, if you know your Bible, the story of Exodus, where the people left and they became shalom with God, they had a covenant with God. Uh, what God did with the Israelites is he fed them, he clothed them, he promised them land and led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was shalom with God, a covenant with God. And as long as they had harmony with God, they were good, right? But you see slowly, if you know your Bible stories, that when they decided to go on their own, they, they made their own decisions, even though God was right there, hey, I'm gonna do things on my own. 
you see that they started to struggle a little bit, that they started to suffer a little bit. You saw the breakdown of the relationship between them and God, and they needed somebody to kind of kick their butt back into alignment with them. So you see that the gift was always there, right? That God's gift was always there. If you go in line with him, man, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you if you just follow him. So in the New Testament, Jesus and the New Testament writers use a similar word called Irene, which means peace as well. And the Jews in the Old Testament writers were constantly looking for this peace, this, this relationship, this harmony with God. And they believed God was the ultimate power of an authority here. So they were trying to constantly take people and like guide them physically into the presence of God. Like, hey, follow what God says. Hey, follow what God says and he will bless you. And you see this over and over again. If you know the book of Judges, you have judge after judge, right? Of the people going away from God and they would just get into exile or, or get into captivity or become slaves. And God would send somebody to direct them back into covenant relationship with him to have peace once again. We have this great image of David describing um, this as well. In Psalm 23, 1 through 6, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David is showing that even though the Old Testament writers, this God ultimate authority that is up in heaven, and he's like, if you follow my commands, you will be blessed. In the New Testament, we get something a little different, don't we? We are given this image of a shepherd. It isn't this, this amazing Godhead that is dictating from above that you're supposed to follow his commands. But we get this image of a shepherd that is going to guide his sheep into peace. And if, if the sheep wanted to be taken care of, no matter what life throws at them, they need to stay near and follow the good shepherd. The good shepherd will guide them, will take care of them, will put them in positions where they don't have to worry. They only have to worry about doing one thing, which is being sheep. See, the, the, the coming of the, Jesus, the Messiah, the good shepherd, is expected to do this, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we know the line all too well in the Christmas song in Luke 2. It says this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Jesus demonstrates his good shepherdness all throughout scriptures. You have story after story where he is guiding his sheep and he is just looking his sheep up and down and he's healing them and directing them into a good covenant with him. And he's removing the chaos all around them so that they can walk in peace with him. 
My favorite story is in Mark 4, 35 through 41, where Jesus is with his disciples and there's chaos all around. And he says, if you have faith in me, I will, I will stop everything and allow you to have peace. It says this, that day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in a boat. They were also with other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then when the winds died down and it was completely calm, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified to ask each other this, other this, but they said, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When I first read this story, I just thought of like my kids like being ridiculous. And I'm like, I would just wish I had the power of Jesus just to make them quiet for like two seconds. Quit running around. They don't listen. But Jesus, just like his father, has the ability out from the outside coming in to control the world and its chaos. We see that God absolutely has no rivals on this world. Nothing can come before him and defeat him. Even the evil that faces him on our daily lives, even this actual storm that happens, they listen to the creator. That time after time, when faced with these situations, the evil or chaos could not go before Jesus. We even have crazy times of him calming the storm, and we even have in Matthew 14, where Jesus didn't just calm the storm, he walked on the storm. He walked on the waters to show everybody around him that nothing can come before me. I am the ultimate power, and I will take care of you. And even after this, we see that the disciples quickly realized that if they stay close to Jesus, even though it might be stressful, even though they will have no idea what comes next, even though people will love to surround them just to listen to him, if they come and beside him, the good shepherd will guide them into peace. And they didn't want to leave that. They never wanted it to end. So as soon as it happened, where Jesus was leaving the disciples, he promised them something that directly interferes with our life. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says this. When Jesus came to them, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. Jesus, as the Messiah, ushered in God's reign of peace in this moment. That the time of salvation longed for since the day of the prophets, the long-expected peace 
of God is Jesus' farewell gift to everybody. To the disciples that which the, the disciples were given and promised that God would never leave them. Their biggest fear of the Messiah, their teacher, the one that gave them peace in their life and direction in their life would eventually leave, but they, but they were promised that feeling that you have, that direction that you have now, it will never leave you. So he left the greatest thing ever. For three years, he guided them. He was the good shepherd on this earth, guiding and collecting his sheep, protecting them, giving them names, looking them up and down to see their wounds and healing them. And they had access to, the, to God the Father on this earth through Jesus. And after three long years, they had access through faith to God with us, the good shepherd in us. And his name is the Holy Spirit. He left, that, they left him here to guide us, to protect us, to give us wisdom and connect us through Jesus to the Father, something they all desired so much. That is good news for us. And I get this question all the time, you know, how do I have access to something that I cannot see? How do I have access to something that I just, I physically cannot talk to on a daily basis, like a human interaction? See, I believe that we can gain access to this peace at any moment in our life. And I think we're given access to these things by three different things if we follow them in this order. And these are not a quick things. These are practices that we do on a daily basis. The first one is prayer. Prayer is our way of connecting to the Father. In John 15, four through five, it says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is not only the way that we connect with God, it is also how we talk to God with expectation that we also receive something from him. This is the part of a large, this really is a part of a larger teaching that we eventually get through. But it is the way that we spend time with Jesus. It is the one way that Jesus changes our hearts. And it is the way that the Spirit directs our hearts to produce the fruit that God says that is good. The second thing if we do that do is slow down and be patient. And have patience. See, most of us never get through the first step because we simply do not have enough time just to stop and pray. Or we, we, it doesn't go as planned whenever we do stop and, and pray and it just feels awkward and we just kind of ramble through it as like a checkbox just to say like, look, I did talk to God today. And this shows how we interact with each other as well. That many of us, even though we, we go to church every single week together, even though maybe you have coworkers, 
We don't just stop and, and take a moment to actually get to know the people around us, don't we? We kind of just say, hey, how are you doing? I hope things are going well, and you kind of scoot along to the next person, kind of like you're checking the box in that situation as well. But what God is trying to explain to us that we need to slow down, and we need to have patience in our life, that we need to slow down enough to connect with Jesus. We speed through life like we just expect God to catch up eventually and we have this perfect harmony at some point. But when you read the Gospels, we see that Jesus' best moments, the ones that we love to teach about, the moments of love and peace were interruptions in his life. And not just interruptions that were like annoyances, but they were interruptions where he paused for one moment just to see what was going on. We see that Jesus, uh, in this moment, what we talked about earlier, where he calmed the storm, where he didn't just rebuke the disciples and go back to sleep, but he, in this interruption of not only probably the greatest nap ever of sleeping through a storm, but he paused in that moment to see what was going on and direct life towards peace. We see the healing of the bleeding woman as well where he was walking through a massive crowd and was touched by this woman, a huge interruption of a teacher of that time, and he took the time to pause and give peace to this woman's life. We see stories like Jesus and the lepers, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We see him stopping everything and eating with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus did ministry for three and a half years, and he has all of these stories in the gospel message just in three and a half years. I've been a Christian for 13 years, and I don't have that many stories. The reason he had this many stories is because he took his time. Not only did Jesus not hurry through life in the three years that he did ministry, but God with us, on this earth, Jesus, the Messiah, didn't hurry through life just to do ministry, but he took his time through life so that he could relate to us. He didn't just come down to earth as a human and just started doing miracles. No, he, he went through the process of being conceived and being with his mom for nine months, going through the baby phases, going through the, the child phases and everything learning through that going through the, through the infant phases and teenagers, teenage years to learn the scriptures and to teach the scriptures. He went beyond that and had relationships. He had a relationship with his father enough that he had a career at one point as a carpenter as we know it. And after 30 years, 30 years, he spent three years doing ministry, three and a half years of ministry because he took the time to make sure that he was always in line with God's plan. Many of us get frustrated if we have to wait three minutes at a, at a red light on a Saturday afternoon. How are we going to wait and be with Jesus so that we can make sure that we are in line with his will? I was listening to a podcast um, by somebody I, I, I think very highly of. His name is John Orberg. He lives out in California. He's a great writer and a pastor of our time. And he said this, uh, talking about what somebody said something to him at one point, another minister or a friend or an elder said this to him. He said, does your pace of life look like of somebody who actually wants to hear from God? 
we have no peace in our life because we are so impatient with everything. And we view a lot of things as a nuisance, don't we? And it's not an opportunity just to connect in the beauty of the world of God. If we go through those two things, I believe if we do the third, we'll experience the connection of God with peace as well. The third one is this, and I'll explain it. It is to extend the withered hand. This expression is used in early Christianity as just a reminder that I can't, but God can. We get this expression from Matthew 12, 19 through 13. It says, going on from this place, talking about Jesus, Jesus went into the synagogues and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and has fallen to a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is the person that is than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do the good work on the Sabbath. Then he said to this man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Jesus asked this man to do something that he couldn't so that Jesus could show him that he could. My encouragement to you in this season is to be aware of your brokenness, whatever is in your life. In the holiday season, we are supposed to have what, the, what everybody says is the perfect family Instagram moment. Where at any moment you can just spin around during Christmas and take photos and it is perfect. Just like those crazy movies that a lot of us like to watch on Hallmark sometimes. In the Advent season, we think that we need to have this Hallmark moment where it all comes to the peak. Whether you have Christmas in the morning or at night, whenever the family comes around, the turkey is perfectly browned on top. When you cut into it, it is not pink, but it is the correct color. And, and Christmas is saved. You have the good sides and the great... Mine is apple pie, my grandma's apple pie. It must be perfect, right, Kaylee? It must be there. And we think we have to do this. But the Advent season is where Jesus came down in our brokenness. God came down in our brokenness. He didn't wait for it to be perfect. It's a reminder when Jesus came down that I can't, we can't, but God can to find peace is to stretch out your brokenness so that God can, no matter what you're going through. He is the good shepherd, and he desires to live in shalom harmony and live in peace with us. I'm going to end with the story. When I, was taking, when, I, when I take my son Christopher to the store, he's the one that had the ear infection that I talked about earlier. He's about four years old. And I love taking him to the store, but for a long time, it, it, it really freaked me out because anytime I got him out of the car seat, he just like wanted to run into traffic, which is not good. You don't want to do that as a parent. Your, parent, your job is to keep them alive, and that's not a live situation. So when I got him out of the car seat, I would, I would put him between me and the car, and every time I'd say, hey, we're in a parking lot, you need to, you need to hold my hand. 
And he would ask why sometimes. It's because I say, look, we're going into a dangerous situation and I'm going to guide you and we're going to stay safe until we get to the store. And when I, now that he is four years old, he's learned so much. And whenever I go into a parking lot and I go around, I get him out of the car seat and I place him down on the pavement, he just immediately takes his hand and he raises it up and smacks me on the chest and he says, hand. And I know that he knows that if he holds my hand, that he will be safe from the time we get from the car lot and all the chaos that happens, especially during Christmas Eve and Christmas and Thanksgiving, all the way until we get to the store. Because he knows it's the best and the peaceful and the safest way. How often do we wake up and we sit at the end of our bed or we're just about to go through a situation or we're in a current hard situation and we say to God, God, I'm going to have to go through it anyways. I'd rather do it with you. And we extend our hand like my son does to me and we say, God, please guide me through this situation. Because as long as I'm in fellowship with you, in harmony with you, yeah, it might be hard, it might be tough, but your ways are the best ways. And I'd rather receive peace through a hard situation than do it on my own. So as we go through the Advent season, if we put our hope in Jesus, then we will receive a spirit of peace in our life. Because we're going to have to go through it anyways. You might as well go through it with him by your side. So God, as we end this, this, this teaching that you have so gracefully guided us through by so many different examples, God, I pray that every single person in this room takes a moment to, to put their hope in your son, Jesus, so they can receive and be a part of the gift of peace this season. God, we have to go through life anyways. It's better to just to go through it with your son than do it by your own. God, I pray that we, we go through it, have a life of prayer, that we live a life where we slow down and have patience, and most of all, I pray that we extend our brokenness to you because we know we can't, but you can in every situation. God, as we leave these doors today, I pray that our peace is shown so much through us that everybody can see that we have hope in Jesus, that we are so different from this world because we can have peace in every situation. God, be with us, just as you promised through your son, Jesus. God, we have two more weeks of Advent two more weeks as we prepare our hearts for the greatest gift ever, which is Jesus. Be with us. God, you are so good. We all ask this in your son's name. Amen. Guys, you have a great week. I pray that you live a life of peace and patience, and you have the best week ever. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.